0: hello welcome to the one inch barrier i am your host juan carlos ojano i hope you're all staying safe staying healthy and staying at home and Yeah, so for this episode, we're going to talk about the film that won Best Foreign Language Film at the 77th Academy Awards. Uh, Yeah, the title of the film is The Sea Inside, or in its original language, Maradentro. It is edited, co-produced, co-written, and directed by Alejandro Aminabar. And he also composed a score, so good for him. Uh, Yeah, this was Spain's fourth win and 19th nomination quick summary this film is about Ramon San Pedro he is a man who is bedridden for 28 years and he is fighting for his right to end his own life because he is paralyzed from the neck down due to a diving accident so he kind of connects with a lawyer named Julia who is supportive of his cause and is also suffering from a degenerative disease and he also makes a connection with Rosa a single mom working in a, like a fish factory, and is also like a local DJ who actually wants him to have a life and live. And meanwhile, the family that is taking care of him have disagreements about his desire to do euthanasia. So with his desire, he then stirs this national conversation on a person's right to end his or her own life. That was fun. So yeah, that's the sea inside. So for this episode, <laughs> <laughs> for this episode, um our guest is from the United States. Yay! Happy to be back in the States. Um our guest is a writer and podcaster for our next Best Picture. He is a co-host at Halloweeners, a horror movie podcast. So please welcome Mr. Cody Derricks. Hi.
1: Hi. Uh- Hey, thank you for having me on to talk about this comedy, this very, you know, just uplifting film, this (laughs) cheery, non-committal watch, "The Sea Inside."
0: (laughs) Yeah, to be honest, yeah, I would say that it is probably one of the easier watches this (laughs) this year, and that's not actually that's probably saying much about the other nominees, but more on that later. So again, thank you so much for coming on board. Um, I know it's pretty tough times, but I'm so happy that you came to of the course. show and then um can you tell our listeners we're going to find you and your work well
1: i am all over the damn internet at codymonster 91 that's my twitter my um uh mostly political instagram that's my letterbox and then yeah i have my hot horror movie podcast halloweeners we're on a bit of a hiatus right now because of you know miss covid uh but we when we come back we will be you'll be notified of, of that um all over the internet, on every podcasting platform you can find, and we're on Twitter and Instagram at Pod.
0: Yes, that is great. I have listened to the episodes, and yay! So for horror movie fans, and even to non-fans, I mean, horror films, like, of course, you gotta appreciate them, and there you go. So please check that yeah. out. And whoo! This fun film that we have. Let's <laughs> Let's start. I want to hear your thoughts on this. What do you think of this film the sea inside
1: so yeah we we keep making jokes about this being like obviously weighty subject matter and very heavy, but the actual the movie itself is like you said, shockingly not too like harrowing or um, I mean it, it is harrowing but it's not morbid you know it is about death, but it's not about death in a morbid sense, which may seem paradoxical. But it kind of aligns with the main character's viewpoint of death, which is more of um, a relief or a way to be outside of himself, um, which the movie makes clear by kind of um, really feeling like we are not only uh, identifying with this character who is, by his own words, trapped in his own body, we are also, as the audience, trapped in this character's room. Um and that probably is my main critique of the movie in a way is that it's a little bit repetitive and a, a little bit overly long. Like I could probably chop off 20 minutes of this without blinking an eye, but I think that's to a point. I think the director is really trying to get us to feel like we are stuck in this character's life. And in the same way that the character can't control um where he is you know because he people come and go from his room of their own accord but he doesn't have that privilege that luxury we kind of feel the same way where every single character that comes in and talks to the main character about well you really shouldn't die i think about how life is worth living eventually it becomes a little bit tiring but again i think that's to a point and whether that works for you or not i think is kind of a subjective thing and to me it kind of got a little bit like I, I feel like I got the point of the director before the movie wanted us to be done with it. Um, but that being said, the final 10 minutes of it are very effective, I thought. And we can go into spoilers if you want um,
0: yeah, like, we're, like, you we're know, full a 19-year-old movie.
1: Yeah,
0: we're talking about <laughs> twists here, like insane exactly. twists. But yeah.
1: Also, it's not really a spoiler to say a movie that starts with a characters saying they want to die ends with them dying of their own hand Oh um, god, she died oh my god i, I don't oh, i'm so sorry spoiler <laughs> but it's it's not shocking and in fact the movie does such a good job of making you realizing this is a happy ending for this character so even though it's maybe not an objective happy ending in the normal sense it is still a relief it is a a, a lightening of the load in a way um and so overall i think i i liked this movie i think i appreciated it more in a kind of analytical sense than i did in like an emotional movie watching sense but in terms of accomplishing its goal it definitely definitely does that
0: yeah i am i am uh just i was so happy that you pointed out that it kind of got repetitive because Mm -hmm. i did not note i did not write it here in my notes but i kind of felt the same way that they were having the same conversations like every 10, 20 minutes, especially with the family members. Um, because exactly. you have this uh, brother who is really against the idea. And then you have basically his wife. Um, and then his wife that is supportive and understands where Ramon is coming from. And then you have the nephew, their ch- their child, which is like, I'm just here for him, whatever happens. Right, who um, he kind of mocks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and was like,
1: taking care of him, but I thought that was an interesting dynamic.
0: Yeah, really interesting dynamic. And I think that's yeah, the, the mocking thing is as, you know, it, I think when you're so close with one person, you can already mock them without always crossing the line. Uh we just like, we just not not that that was good, but I think how they demonstrated it is that there is kind of an authenticity with this relationship that it's not uh clean cut. Um uh like you said, I expect I probably expected something more difficult to watch because of the subject yeah. matter, because of the situation. He cannot leave the bed. I thought the film was really good. Um, I should have probably been more emotionally invested because I think the film made it a bit too easy at times or too accessible. to understand what was happening. It's not really spoon feeding, but Mm -hmm. I just had a different expectation of what to see and feel. Uh, Because, you know, looking at the, looking at the summary, like, whoa. And then, right. Yeah. And then to be, all right, so I'm going to talk about this. I had a prop. I had a problem with the week that I watched this. Um, The first film that I watched was downfall. And I had no interest to like follow it up <laughs> immediately with another film. And then that same day the Emmy nominations were revealed so I'm like I'm not really in the mood right now. So mm-hmm. I crammed the four nominees in one day and oh no <laughs> <laughs> I never realized it' was probably a mistake. and this was the last film that I watched. It was at night and I wasn't tired or anything but at the same time, um, I really liked the bunch. That, I, that preceded this one, so I kind of was expecting more. But aside from that, um, in as much as I thought that this film would have been more emotionally engaging for me, um, it also has its beauty, and what I like is that it's such a, a heavy topic, but it never really sensationalizes that. There is a restraint... the film practices in telling the story and that that appealed to me more than anything else
1: yeah the interesting thing about this is that it did a good job of making visual what the character was going through internally but my my first comparison was I don't know if you've seen this movie The Diving Bell and the Butterfly from I think it was three years after this movie
0: yeah I have Um, it in my notes but I haven't seen it
1: okay it's if i haven't seen the movie in like 10 years but if if my my distant memory can recall it's very similar it's about a character trapped in their own body it's not a true story that movie has more fantastical visualizations of what the character is going through um whereas this one is more grounded even when it shows the character doing things like jumping out the window or flying which obviously this character is not doing but because the world the world of the film is so, um, I keep saying grounded, but it really is that it doesn't seem out of character for that to be happening. It feels like we're, because we're stuck with this character in the room with him, when we're allowed to see things that are arguably more fantastical than him just lying in a bed, it feels natural because we've been in the perspective of this character for so long that, like, of course we would go outside of his body for a little bit.
0: Yeah, and then in terms of having this, uh, Inner life. I think that the first time that happened, the flying thing, I was really like, whoa, mm-hmm. I, I am liking this because I would understand like after 28 years, there's really a desire to be free, and that's what he wanted. And that's like a really um, interesting visualization of that to um, just the flying because I think, I don't know, flying is like the ultimate uh, embodiment of freedom. You can just go anywhere. Right. Um, and I'm gonna disclose this. I've had recurring dreams since I was a kid. I was I was flying, so I don't know. Am I not free? (laughs) But (laughs) um, yeah, right. um, Well, but I
1: I think it's a natural. It's a natural thing that humans want to do, even if they've like been on a plane. You know, it's the natural idea of wanting to fly. Just feels very human whether you're in the specific situation of this character or not it's something that symbolizes not only freedom but ability of mobility it's about the the idea of being able to just go wherever you want uninhibited and that's true whether we are actually you know confined to a bed like this character or not
0: yeah that desire would be i would imagine more intense and after 28 years because yeah the last thing that he did bef- before he suffered paralysis is like kind of an act of flying as well because mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, that dive like oh my god i just i'm so proud of that connection i just made right now um <laughs> <laughs> i am such a fraud um yeah that that flying <laughs> thing i think he was kind of hmm, uh reliving trying to change the outcome of that dive with that first mm-hmm. thing. And, and that's a very interesting representation, but it's not, that's not the only time they did it, right? They, that The flying thing happened more than once.
1: It happens at least twice, and then the movie ends with the camera sweeping off of the beach across the sea, like the title of the movie. So it kind of ends with the camera and thus us finally taking off in a way.
0: Yeah, um, I think that is a really... Uh, Striking choice, the flying thing. Um, I just... I also don't think they... I think this film is very middle ground in what it wanted to do. Like, it wants to show you how difficult it is to be in this uh, person's life. And it is. But also, the film goes into so many directions as well. I mean, you follow Julia the lawyer. You follow Rosa. So you, as an audience you are not always in that confinement because you have mobility to move through different storylines.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't get exploitive in a way. Like, we never see anything kind of, like, for lack of a better word, like, gross, like, medically or anything. You know, we never, like, see him using a bedpan or something. It's not exploitive. It's really what I imagine this person in real life would have wanted you to see. I mean, there's an early scene in the movie where... Uh, one of the characters is watching him on TV and on the TV program, he's practically undressed in the bed and he's saying something about, maybe if politicians can see me like this, can find like this in this way, they'll understand why I don't want to be like this anymore. So if the character, and I assume this on something in real life, if that's something that the real life person wanted us to see, this, this movie is really kind of restrained in comparison in terms of what it shows us. You know, it never really, like, um, uses anything to shock us, which it doesn't need to. And I I, I appreciate that restraint.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that as well. I mean, I said that. But, yeah, I just... Also, in terms of the questions it posed, um, I think the film is consciously starting a conversation about, like, uh, a person's choice. And his right to live Mm -hmm. or his right to die, those things. But I don't know, maybe I'm just spoiled by 2020 lens, but I just feel that their <laughs> film isn't really, it's not challenging. Because like you said, um, like I said, it was an easy watch, surprisingly, and then the topics are handled pretty well. And then the scenes depicting his uh, situation, also well executed. But I think with the topic that it has, I wanted more discomfort. And sure. um, this is probably me as a fan of The Handmaid's Tale. I really want discomfort, especially <laughs> in this scenario. <laughs> I'm, I'm sick that way. But um, yeah, I just think this film is really respectable and respecting of its topic without... I think it uh, avoids any um, antagonism from the audience in terms of how it tells its story
1: yeah and i so i in terms of the nominees this year this probably this is like a spoiler if we're gonna do rankings it's probably middle of the nominees personally yeah but i I think um what it does in terms of not being as hard to watch as it like could be if it chose to be i think that's both of its benefit and its detriment because its benefit is the sense is the idea that it if it wants to be a kind of uh not political but if if it wants to convince somebody of something it's definitely going to do that because it's showing this um man's life not as like the horror story you might think it is based on the plot summary but it really is shockingly slice of life and it's even funny in some parts which like every movie has moments of humor this isn't anything crazy but um but again to its detriment in a way because it isn't it is a little bit repetitive and again i think that's to a point but it doesn't it didn't quite captivate me in the way that i expected it to but i i think that's intentional i think it's kind of challenging the audience to say like oh you thought it would be this harrowing journey that is kind of fun to watch in the same way that like something um like lifetime or a&e is like these these very almost exploitive uh tv shows <laughs> you know but i think it's kind of challenging you the audience in a way to be like this is this man's life and it's it's not horrifying per se from the outside but it's also not what you would want to be living so he has the right to make that choice even though his life is not an unending parade of miseries from the outside even if that's what he may be feeling from the inside, which it doesn't really make it clear. He has that right still and he, sh- or he should have that right rather.
0: Yeah. One interesting thing I want to note in terms of the depiction, that that conversation of like ending someone's life when that person is in that situation. Uh, this was also the same year as million dollar baby who handles that topic.
1: Oh yeah. You're, um, you're right. I didn't even make that connection.
0: Yeah. And then um, that was, I haven't seen it in years, but yeah, it, went, it goes down that direction. Um, I, what I, me- I mentioned in the previous episode, that it's still not airing when it is recording because I am weeks in advance, but uh, I think in this category, the accessibility is such a big part uh, mm-hmm. in terms of not just, the sto- not just the story, but the storytelling itself. Uh, which is you know, um I think we're kinda of making amends that with that recently. Um in terms of like a challenging film like uh Roma or Son of Soul, those are pretty challenging films. But Moto for the most part, I think this category has really featured winners that are uh, easy to watch. And that's not a bad thing mm-hmm. against a film, but and yeah, just handling of the topic and how it resonated. I know we're kind of getting ahead in terms of like, it's Oscar reception, but yet it's also how I feel at times that, yeah, it is really accessible to a point, to a fault.
1: Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you brought up Million Dollar Baby being a kind of connection in terms of the story, because I I didn't even make this connection, but I'm just double checking my dates now. I believe this was around the same time that... Um, in real life, uh, here in America, there was the Terry Schiavo case. Uh,
0: Can you tell me about it? I have no idea.
1: Yes. Um, it's been a while since I've fully refreshed myself on this topic, but she was a woman who was, um, if I'm using the correct terminology, essentially in a vegetative state. Yeah. She was um, completely dependent on machines to um, save stay alive after, I believe it was... A cardiac arrest that led to brain damage which kind of oxygen to her brain so essentially she was comatose for prat- uh, over a decade at least um and it became kind of a big civil rights issue in america and it was actually yeah i'm checking out it was around the time that this uh movie would have been up for oscars uh actually very very close to the same time um so obviously the idea of um right to live and um, disability rights and uh, euthanasia and pro-life movement, all these kinds of things were definitely in the national conversation. And I am sure that had something to do with the win of the sea inside in America at the very least. Um, I was very young <laughs> when this movie was uh, won the Oscar. So I can't say for sure if that was part of the discussion, but I, I can imagine that watching this in theaters when that case was a big deal that can't not have been on voters' minds.
0: Yeah, I do have a question. Like Million Dollar Maybe was it released? it was released in December, right?
1: Yes, it was very late in the year. I remember this. Yeah, because yeah. it was it was a, kind of a Christmas surprise, if I remember correctly.
0: Oh, what a great Let Christmas surprise that, that is! Um, <laughs> yeah, the Sea Inside also debuted on December that year. So, like, uh, of course, it never really went wide, but. To have those two films in a conversation, and then you're talking about this year where that is a national conversation. I would imagine that that is a part of... Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because I was thinking, <laughs> you know, someone did not know that case. I was kind of connecting Million Dollar Baby's downer mode to the Bush re-election that year and oh definitely yeah i don't know like hollywood's uh, attitude towards politics at the time because like i would imagine like 2002 michael moore is being booed for calling out bush mm-hmm. at the oscars and that is a very different time now because when you watch the oscars someone calls out trump it gets applause uh and i was a baby cinephile at the time i did not know anything yeah, i did not know that oscars exist i was refusing to watch uh american films at the time because i was very patriotic like i'm gonna only watch Filipino films because i'm a filipino blah 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 bullshit um so that was a time and yeah I, that is a great context to where this film is coming from in terms of its reception at in you know at american audiences this year um
1: yeah um yeah. In terms of politics in Hollywood, I mean, this could be a whole other podcast, but uh, when Michael Moore was being booed in, yeah, what was that, 2003, I think, early 2003? Yeah, um, 2003 ceremony. Bush was really, especially immediately after 9-11, was really by both sides. I believe he had the highest approval ratings for president in history. Uh, the The country was extremely unified around not only him, but the country in general, So that kind of gave the government, and this is a whole a whole another discussion, the ability to basically do anything with impunity and under the guise of, well, it's American and patriotic and get away with it. And that included invading Iraq. So by the time Bush was reelected, though, I think that veneer had really worn off, especially people on the left side of politics. Um, And yeah, that's why I not that's not only why, but I mean, the awards, the Oscars that were given out in the Bush's second term, which was. Million Dollar Baby, Crash, uh, The Departed, and No Country for Old Men, which are <laughs> four of the most yeah. What's um, happening? pessimistic <laughs> movies to win. <laughs> exactly. It's really like, what have where have we gone wrong? Um, and then the, the year after that, when Obama's elected, you get Slummed Up Millionaire, one of the yeah. most <laughs> jubilant movies to win this picture recently. With the he dance like, sequence no.
0: at the very end. So exactly. Like, uh, yeah, that's exactly.
1: Even though it leads up, it's the lead up to it is a little bit rough. It ends in a happy place and kind of a way that a lot of Americans felt about the two thousands at the time. Um, But it is, it's kind of funny though, that million dollar baby was the movie that we gave the award to. if That's how people were looking at it. Given Clint Eastwood's recent uh, political statements, but I mean, that's not, it wasn't the same in 2004. Definitely not.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I would just, I'm just interested that, um, you know, because we're now when we're talking Oscars, you don't put the downer films in December. You usually put them in October or November. Um, uh, because like in December, people uh voters are at home with their families, they're gonna probably gonna watch a film about euthanasia. But that how it <laughs> resounded that it it, it was a late breaking surprise that what was the front it was it the aviator that was the front runner for best Picture that? It was
1: the aviator, yeah, it definitely was. As I remember it won the Golden Globe. Um, there was a time period where almost every Scorsese movie, people were like, this is going to be it. He's going to win his Oscar. Like, I mean, he was this close to the best director for Gangs of New York of all movies. I mean, no, thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, he really was every time a movie of his was trotted out after the turn of the century, it really was like, maybe this is it. And it really didn't happen until the departed, um, I, again, I wasn't following the Oscar race as closely as I do now, obviously. I was, I think I was 11 when this happened. But from what I remember of like vague precursors and stuff, The Aviator really was kind of the one to beat until Million Dollar Baby came out very late in the year. And it was really that December surprise.
0: Yeah. Um, To backtrack to the film. (laughs) um, (laughs) Yeah. again, this film, there is a classiness to it that is also very appealing and probably, like, you know, um, I don't know if how many voters watch the foreign language film categories, but to see how to deal with euthanasia on two very, uh, like, different uh, moods or, like, I'm lacking the word, feels in terms of, like, Million Dollar Baby is really a downer and you have to see inside, which I would say is not just about... Um, death Uh, because I think the the filmmakers highlighted it that also the Oscar speech that Ramon's desire to die inspired the people around him to live their life to the fullest so Mm -hmm. those approaches to this topic of euthanasia I find really interesting that those were the ones that resounded on this specific year and with the conversation that you just mentioned.
1: Yeah, it's really about not wanting to die, per se. It's really about wanting to live the life you can. Yeah. And for him, that was not possible. Uh, but like you said, the people around him were inspired to use his story, not as per se, like a, an inspiration, but definitely as a way to compare their life to his and like, look at it like, am I doing the best I can with my life right now?
0: Yeah, and I would say and uh that a huge part of why this film works is this little known actor named Javier Bardem. Do you know him? <laughs> uh who? Uh, ha, yeah, Javier Bardem. <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: <laughs> uh, he is so terrific in this film. Uh, yeah. the the things that I was looking for more in this film like the more complicated emotions he has in terms of like you know there is a mixture of of course the sadness to the sadness and then also like the that, that affirmative, that assertive I want to choose even if I am in this situation and also this like uh cynicism in him that what makes you say that I want like um you know when when people like like uh, Rosa Rosa would say something along the lines of like, you still have much more to live. And he would, uh, he would count it as, what, what is that? Tell me. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, those are not exact dialogue, but the, just that mi- mixture of emotions. And y- you see the state of mind that he is after 28 years of living with this condition. It's just a really terrific performance uh, that I really loved. I would say.
1: Yeah, no, I, I liked him too. Uh it would be very easy to turn this into either like a saintly portrait or a really downer portrait. And I think he does a really good job of walking that tightrope while being a fully lived in human being. You know, you can see the life he had before he was um, in this condition and the life he's currently in, and they are both of the same piece. I think he's really great. And looking at the best actor lineup, I would not have minded him being in here above some of these other contenders personally.
0: Oh yeah. I would drop, Two of those, (laughs) I'm thinking already of. Yeah, I. This is just a really wonderful portrayal of that. Like I said, and then of course, um, the thing with the film sometimes is that when it plays with humor, it there is a tendency that it, you know, those heavy dramas that attempts to play with humor, it just kind of comes like very cheeky, like uh, it just feels forced, right? Or like exactly, yeah, yeah. With his performance, I think, like I said. Walking that fine line of like being cynical and also funny and heartbroken and angry and just sometimes they come together in a single scene, sometimes in a single line of dialogue and how he shifts attitudes with uh, the other characters. Um, it's a really complicated performance and to do all of that with only the face uh, because there is a very limited physicality physicality to this. Um, mm-hmm. Really wonderful work and I wish they went with this performance.
1: Yeah, we don't really need Johnny Depp in there, do we? <laughs> like, even yeah. taking everything around him recently, it's just... That performance is nothing special, to be honest. That was really definitely a celebrity nomination.
0: Yeah. I mean, not even considering what happened recently, I would take it out of... The- <laughs> um,
1: exactly. I mean, I remember at the time, and I I, <laughs> I know it's not popular to so say, I really love that movie, Finding Neverland. It makes me cry. I don't care. His performance is not what makes that movie work at all.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, Finding Neverland is... Yeah, okay, one of those things where it's easy to watch to a fault. Really to a fault. Um, but mm-hmm. maybe I was just not a target audience. Maybe I was cynical when I watched it. Um like I mentioned. I mean it's a, while, a very yeah. easy
1: movie to brush off. It's a very easy movie to say like, wow, come on. And like I, I get that, but sometimes it just works on me. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's nice and nothing more. It didn't need to be like the big mm-hmm. player that it was. Um I also mentioned how uh, Alejandro Aminabar, which is the director of this film, is a multi-hyphenate for this film. He's also the composer. Uh, I love this score. I think it is very rich. It shows... Yeah, I like it too. Yeah, the inner life that he has, the fantastical moments, and also, yeah, that that score, when I was thinking of how this film could have pushed its topic even more that score really makes the film like have a confident tone of like kind of also a celebration of the life around him even though this is a person who wants to end his life like the score
1: yeah i liked it too you're right it's definitely fantastical and it does a lot of the work in terms of like putting us outside of the character in terms of what he's imagining his life could be it's really it's very transportive
0: yeah i was thinking of the sea inside the the title (laughs) i mean Mm -hmm. i was thinking, what does it mean (laughs) um uh do you have any ideas on what this title would probably mean
1: i mean i think it has to do with like the turning of the tides and you know the sea is unpredictable yet it could be calm it could be um tempestuous at times it's really something that you can't control um but the sea is also um a symbol of freedom and expanse and ability of mobility and it's um, I mean the movie ends panning across the sea so it definitely symbolizes the ability of like leaving something you know when you when you cast off of shore you're leaving something behind like yes you're going to a destination but you're definitely leaving more behind than you're possibly going towards
2: yeah
0: um, I asked that because I have no idea (laughs) So (laughs) um, so I was just thinking because like going back how interesting it is that the event that cost him this—the diving in the sea—he continuously goes back to that sea in his like um, uh, Im- imagined moments. You know, he he still wants diving, goes to the sea, yeah. imagines going with Julia on the sea, and then the film literally ends at the sea. So yeah, I'm just so interested in how that part of him that could have been like a traumatic thing. Like, I don't want to talk about sea ever again. That's the one that he's going back to.
1: And- right. Well, he also, he also, um, when he, when we finally are allowed to see how exactly he was paralyzed, which is that diving accident. Um, he says something, I don't have the exact quote. He says something along the lines of, um, if I had been permitted to die, by drowning like essentially the implication is he wouldn't have had to gone through this. So the sea is, yes, it was this source of trauma for him currently, but if he had been allowed to die in the sea, then it would have been a release from the place he's in now because he never had to have experienced it.
0: Yeah. And also just the film really shows that even if he's not going outside anymore, he's just in his bed there is so much going on inside that person. I mean, you know, talk about C's. Uh, I'm cringing with this thing that came out of my mind, but they're deep. Um, yeah, and oh, there's, mm-hmm. they're yeah unexplored. there's so much. Yeah. you you can't
1: see everything under the surface right i mean there's literally like the sea literally is very deep and so so yeah
0: i'm reaching here help no no it's
1: not reaching at all it's definitely it's i mean it's actually pretty surface level it's very correct you know it's very um the sea is unpredictable and unwavering and uh you can't see the bottom of it but you know there's infinite depths down there and if it's you know Comparing that to what's inside of you, you, you can't see everything that is inside of a person just by looking at them. And this movie is also about, you know, challenging the expectation of appearance. You know, a lot of people come into his room with pity or with um, uh, seemingly a an answer motion. to his circumstance. Yeah. Exactly. And this movie is really saying, you can't say everything that you know is inside of you. You really can't.
0: Yeah, and that, 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 that pity... So when the people that don't don't know, don't know him yet I just da, 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 don't know him yet um they have this like kind of prepared statement like you know it, there's so much to live um some those crap and like you don't have to tell him that he's been in in the in and outs of this and like for example when he was kind of antagonistic with Rosa the very first time they met and that made rosa you know cry and leave him but at the same time he she examined herself and kind of like made amends with him because it's different on the inside yeah it's different when you're the one living that life you cannot just throw these uh inspiring quotes about like um living your life just like you know there's so much to live like in this case like he already knows around it like what really i'm in the bed people are feeding me cleaning me watching tv i'm writing with my mouth tell me what is to live and those notions by the people around him are challenged and in turn it goes bigger and then this quest this concept of what is a life in the first place it goes big and i think one of the most one of the strongest chapters of this film is you know when his character is pitted against the quadriplegic priest mm-hmm. who is also suffering kind of the same like paralysis or like immobility but they have a very different outlook and uh um approach to this um Yeah, that Ramon versus priest uh, conflict.
1: Right. It's two people in seemingly similar circumstances who people who are not in those circumstances may judge and say, oh, they're so alike. They have so much to talk about, but they have absolutely opposite ways of looking at their own lives. And that's really challenging, again, the preconceived notions you might have looking at somebody who is stuck in a bed, stuck in a chair or something like that. Yeah, I say stuck Um, in terms of the movie portraying it like that. They're not actually stuck in terms of being like a free human. That's really just how the movie wants us to look at this character and how the character feels about himself. Just I should clarify. Yeah, Um, hmm.
0: I like that because that uh, conflict because the challenging notion for many people, and I would think of Spain, which is like kind of a religious country. I mean that country brought Catholicism to the Philippines. (laughs) Like, yeah, thank Mm. you. Um, (laughs) Thank you for like (laughs) uh, 330 years of colonization. But um, that, how religion impacts the conversation about such a personal thing. And of course, it reaches into the legislative um, level of, can he end his life? Are the people around him that will help him going to be Criminally liable. Um, I actually haven't researched on how this film was received in Spain in terms of uh, the, the conversation about euthanasia, but, um, it is, I'm always interested with, uh, conversations about, like, um, this one, because the priest wants to taunt this as, like, a morality issue. Um, And of course like every person has a freedom to choose the religion that will serve as his or her guide in life or if you don't want to choose a religion, that's also fair. But on how, you know, the the theological like big doctrines of like life and death, how it goes down to case to case basis and how there is no really like um, it's it's not one size fit all.
1: Right, the conversation doesn't allow for subtlety or for specific circumstances. It's just yes or no.
0: Yeah, very rigid. And uh,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I liked that scene when they were, when the priest went to the house and there is this middleman and the middleman is like kind of running. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
1: running back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, it really kind of sold the, like, it sold the futility of this conversation because you had to watch this one guy um, just, you know, exhausting himself bringing these points back and forth. And it really kind of showed how silly the conversation was because it was requiring this go-between who was exerting himself just for these two men to have this conversation that is at an absolute standstill.
0: Yeah, and because at the end they were not there to to listen to one another. They were there to convince one another. Right? They were already rock solid in what they wanted and what they did not want. So... Yeah, that that I like because that is one of the moments where like it is funny at the start because of how ridiculous the setup is. And then just the slow shift, you don't notice it, but it just goes into that direction that it stops being funny. And it's just being about two people that have conflicting ideals. And yeah, it's just a smooth transition in terms mm-hmm. of uh, feel. <laughs> I'm losing yeah, words of no. feel of that. <laughs> It's a morning here. I'm lo- I don't have the words yet. I, yeah. I work better at night. <laughs> um, yeah. Well,
1: it's that. 10 p.m. here, so...
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that the film I has a lot, focuses on a lot, is Ramon's relationship with the women around him. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: You have this... Uh, what do you think of his relationship with the lawyer? Julia, uh, who, yeah, who also has this, who also wants to support him and is also suffering from this degenerative disease.
1: Well, I, I liked that he said, I specifically sought out a lawyer that was also suffering from a, by their own words, suffering from a de- degenerative disease because that was the only type of person in this character's mind who would be able to understand his uh, perspective, at least in terms of a, somebody who, was going through something that is not comparable to what most of the population will feel. And I liked, um, it kind of spoke in a way to the importance of representation, you know, of looking for somebody that's close to yourself in terms of uh, the life you've led, because that's, uh, you don't have to worry about traversing those kind of like the differences that you you can speak to each other without worrying about like, well, let me explain this to you. It's it's a connection that is not... um, something you have to overcome uh i also liked that in general he was kind of flirty with every single woman that came in his room in a way that kind of felt like well i they're not going to you know uh chastise the man who's uh in his bed they're i i'm I'm allowed a little bit of freedom in this sense i like that playfulness it never felt like exploitive or something that the women were uncomfortable with it was something that you know it, it was it was something that he wanted to do Almost make a point. I appreciated that.
0: Yeah, and then I have something to connect, but I, I I don't know how to segue that. But also his relationship with Rosa, it just like I said, um, it starts antagonistic, but in t- it turns into uh, a very romantic relationship. But then he has this armor already. I think that cynicism in his life um, kind of went there, and he said something along the lines of like like um, he want like he's avoiding i don't even avoiding love something that concept because like how can i love you back if yeah. i'm like this that that point is really interesting and he is uh flirting a lot in this film like mm-hmm. can you teach me how i want to know it? <laughs> <laughs> please
1: javier yeah i mean it's um it's very much kind of looking at what we value in a relationship you know is it really like what everybody says it is which like it's not physical necessarily it's about i'm in love with his mind and he's kind of challenging that notion by being like oh are you really let's talk or let, let's discuss that possibly without really putting too fine a point on it I, I like that kind of implied uh point there
0: yeah um because you know uh of course when you're flirting there's already something consciously or subconsciously sexual about it, but like, how would you deal with only this head and, you know, neck down? I don't have anything. Like, um the feeling of inadequacy on his part, like, I would not be able to give you everything. Are, are you sure you can handle, do you want to handle that? Um, That I really like because it's cynicism, but at the same time, in that way, he's already showing his love for rosa and for the other women because like this is gonna be almost like a one-way street i mean i can give you my brain and i mean
1: he's realistic about it without being like either pity me he's not asking for pity and he's also not really looking at his inability for what we classify as typical physical love as necessarily something that like it's not it's not really like a way for him to feel less than it's just kind of a fact to him. Um, yeah. But also it, he uses it in his argument for like, and that's one more thing that I can't achieve in this life. Um, when he's talking about the things that he's not able to do and that's why he wants to end his life of his own accord. Yeah. Jaded.
0: Is that the right word? Jaded.
1: He's jaded. He definitely is, but he's not um, negative about it. If that makes yeah. sense. It's just kind of like uh, fact of the matter.
0: Rational. Yeah. Yeah. He's been through this. <laughs> exactly. So, like, uh, yeah. L- let me take you to a tour. Like, let me take you to a tour. Is this how it's going to work? Is how it's going to work? This is how it's gonna work. Um, and also, I find it really interesting that um, you know, in the house, when there are conflicts about the conversations of like, are we going to let Ramon do this or not? His brother is not allowing it. But his sister-in-law is on his side. Yeah, that contrast.
1: Well, that that contrast really shows, you know, because the the brother is not necessarily like I know what's best for you. He doesn't want somebody doing that in his house. It's really about him worrying about the impression that people would have if this happened rather than actually thinking about the well-being of the person who it most affects.
0: Yeah, and there's also this one friendship with uh, Hene the pregnant woman mm-hmm. um i kind of don't remember what her significance is <laughs> yeah she
1: seemed uh I, i'm gonna admit it's been a few days since i saw this movie i believe she was part of some sort of um political group that was fighting for his uh-huh. cause um uh-huh. and even at the end she was like it was implied to a degree that she had a hand in getting him the potassium cyanide that he used to end his life it wasn't explicitly shown But it even shows the character being like, "We can't talk about this. You'll you could be implicated." But then, like three scenes later, he is taking that potassium cyanide. So it's the implication is that she had a hand in his death. If I if I read that correctly.
0: Yeah, and interesting is she's pregnant, so she is, she has this a different understanding of like life, like what really life is, because she is literally carrying life inside of her, Mm -hmm. and then she is supportive of this cause because ultimately the film asks us what is a life? Like what is it just like living and breathing? Because if that's life, um, that's not fully satisfying. Life is deeper than that. And we seek um, something more, something freedom is such an important part of life. And if it's, and if you don't have freedom, then it's, it would be a case of like, Ramon and what he's thinking the reason right. why he wants to end it's it's not a full life if that's and
1: it's right about term. it's about freedom as you as an individual define it because to the priest who comes to visit him who is similarly um, disabled by the standards of most of society he's living his life to the fullest and he has freedom and we even see that in his ability to move around as much as he chooses you know he's in a chair uh that can move uh as opposed to ramon who to him he doesn't that he doesn't consider that in his own state freedom and that's by his own definition and the movie even does a little good job of being specific by saying like i'm not speaking for all paraplegics i don't say that paraplegics um or people who are paralyzed in any way can't live a full life i'm saying that to me this is not the life that i want to be living so i should have the right to not be living it anymore
0: yeah, I I want to ask uh how what is the conversation about euthanasia in America um right now in 2020.
1: It's really not a major topic of conversation to be honest. Um as far as I know, it's not something I've experienced. It's not legal anymore. Um, of course, if somebody's at the end of their life, they can um volunteer to not be resuscitated. They can say, you know, if I'm ever in a vegetative state, pull the plug. That's totally within your rights. But if that's only for people who are incapacitated in a way that they can control. If you wish you'd just blanket end your life, again, as far as I know, you can't just do that. But it's not really a part of the major political discussion at this time. It's kind of just not really brought up in terms of politics or in terms of uh pro-life discussions or anything like that
0: yeah the pro-life discussions are always just about having a baby but not really the quality of life so
1: right and the technique of the baby forget about it we don't care about it anymore of course (laughs) yeah
0: yeah like you cannot kill the baby when it's inside but it's already outside we can arrest the baby and of course it doesn't matter anymore like oh yeah wonderful um in the philippines of course the con the con Conversation about that euthanasia is so deeply hinged on religion, of because eighty yeah. percent are Catholics, and but you know, not all. I don't think there is a really one, uh, one monolithic uh, way of. When, of Catholics, because they even have, I'm not Catholic, they have differences <laughs> in, like, you know, um, the, the pull the plug, like, not sure. not choose to resuscitate. That's, that's um, you know, just, like, being passive about that because, like, we cannot do it anymore, you know? But in terms of, like, giving poison, like potassium cyanide, to end someone's life, I have not encountered that or if it's is ever done it is in very uh, uh, very discreet conversations mm-hmm. um I think that's where people stand in terms of, like ideologically but when it comes to their families it's a, a very different thing because I would I know people that um their wives are in comatose for like one two years and they would just stick with that yeah um, because that's the That's the common thing here. Um, Is it all right to ask? Where do you stand on this topic?
1: Um, I'm kind of really just in general for whatever people want to do. Please do it as long as it's not hurting anybody else. Um, And this movie, it doesn't really... It shockingly is... It is about something that is inherently political in the way that we talk about it. But to this man, it is not political. It is just personal. So even though the movie is saying this man should have the right to make this choice in its narrative. It's not doing like a heavy handed, um, like it's not like an Oliver Stone movie or something where the politics are very apparent. It's like very, it presents it kind of just as it is. And I, I, I think the movie's better for that.
0: Yeah, I think the film also made a point that it's not. This is not political. the The national conversation made this political when they wanted to try on exactly. court. Exactly. When they're already handling, the media's already interfering with this. But at the end of the day, it's about like a person's right to choose. Mm-hmm. Does your opinion differ on like if it's like a passive thing, like pull the plug or like not resuscitate, where compared to like let's give him the the arsenic <laughs> the, Again, like, I, cyanide. I,
1: I think it's really as long as you're of sound mind and body and you're not being persuaded in either direction if you're able to make that choice if that's the choice you want to have i say go for it you know it's 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 completely up to a person how they want to live their life
0: yeah i think yeah I, I would agree that i think i would as much as you can i think the person who has the life should be able to decide, yeah. Um, because sometimes it's the people around her. Like, let's just kill dad. Like, no, stop. I let's not do that. Probably, but I think the person who has the life, and especially in this kind of condition, I think he or she should have a say at least. Um, and in the case of Ramon, you know, he was pra- he practiced that he even if this was a twenty eight year battle it was never clear if he was that for 28 years, but that 28 years really made him solid about what he wanted. And he had his conviction there. And even if people don't agree with that or agree with that or not, I think the agency should still be um, acknowledged in that person and not be taken away from him or her. Um, Yeah. The sound mind and body of the persons living the life should be the main factor here. Um, yeah, we talked about Javier Bardem, as we should. <laughs> but do you want to you know, highlight any other performances in this film? Um,
1: off the top of my head, I don't really have anybody specifically. Um, that I that jumped out of me as giving. I mean, it, across the board, they were all unified in their uh in their performances. Uh, the character played Julia, the actress who played Julia, rather, uh, Belen Rueda. She was very good, and she had the challenging job of, um playing somebody in different states of being. Uh, she starts in one place and ends in another, and that's kind of like a baby <laughs> role for somebody. Um, but across the board, the ensemble is just kind of generally unified and sound.
0: Yeah, and also, I I also liked uh, Lola Duenas here. Um, she was Rosa. I, that performance, I think she finds a lot of like honesty in terms of her relationship with Ramon, because uh, that character has a lot of emotional baggage, and it's so easy yeah. to get uh, drowned like in the in the tears of that character. But um, and sometimes the film gets simplistic with her character, I would say. But every time she's on screen and she wants to reach out to Ramon, there is something really honest about it, which I really liked. Um, I want to mention the priest uh, Josep Maria Pu. I think that was just like a solid um, real supporting actor because we're so used to supporting actors actually being leads. Yeah. But this is a solid like um one to two scene uh, performance that really is a worthy uh, opponent, not really, but someone who goes up against yeah. probably opponent. I mean,
1: he, he puts himself in a, <laughs> a like a, a in like a kind of like a debate me position. You know, that's that's yeah. his choice to do that.
0: Yeah, as probably most people in the religious institutions do in terms of these topics and how they want to impose their beliefs you know, on other people that are probably not affiliating to their faith. Like, you know, mm. debate me, fight me. Right. Um, yeah, I really liked that scene where he was broadcasting his remarks. Uh, like, um, Ramon's family is probably not loving him. That's why he's like that, like, And the family reacts really negatively because like how dare you you don't know 28 years of our lives and just going to deduce it to like we are not loving ramon enough that's why he wanted to kill himself
1: right yeah it was really projecting in a way that was very like i know best about everything
0: (laughs) yeah and that's also the thing again with the religious conversation is that people like to put other people in boxes like you want to kill yourself you're probably this your your family member wants to kill himself you probably don't love him that much um, which is insane because we like we said there's so much complex nuances in the lives of these people that you have to really take it case by case before you apply your faith especially if that uh, opinion is um, unsolicited in the first place like who is talking about you but you know mm-hmm. um, the media wanted to build a story on that Um, I just want to give a shout out to Tamar Novas he is cute um <laughs> <laughs> uh and this, does he play the
1: nephew is that who he is or
0: yeah and i've seen like photos of him this year like yeah i to get that um i i love that scene where like i said he dived he dove mm-hmm. he dove, dove dove he dove and there's just so much uh, yeah i'm I'm teaching English, and this is I'm losing like verbs. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I understand. I can barely I
1: speak one. myself, so.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, that scene, I think, there's just, um, really rich beauty in it. That, that was, um, was that just a flashback, or was it like after he jumped off the? No, that was just a flashback, right?
1: Yeah, and I liked, um, in that scene the sound mixing was so intense. Like when he finally hit the water after what's a kind of a picturesque dive, it is very aggressive. And it's clearly because it's leading to this severe change in this man's life. So it's appropriately, you know, percussive and thunderous.
0: Yeah. There was, um, in terms of like sound music and just cinematography, there was a huge shift
2: Mm -hmm. in
0: that scene that is so appropriate because, and I like them, I liked it that they put it earlier because, you know, we can get it out of the way.
2: Yeah. Do you agreed. like
0: how that scene Oh yeah, you liked it because yeah. I would imagine that some people would probably want to put it in near the end as a reveal, but I'm I like that they put it out of the way already because um, it's not important really how he how that happened. To be you know, you don't you don't you don't need to see it. But the important thing is his journey towards that goal.
1: Yeah. It's um, agreed. I mean, it it shows it and it is, like I said, it, it makes a point to be upsetting, but it's not aggressive. You know, it's not like uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's terrifying in the sound mix of it, but it's not like, it's not like a horror movie, you know, it's not gory or anything. It just yeah. is very matter of fact.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, as I've said in the previous episodes, like all of the films that I watch for this podcast, I watch with my mom. Um, mm-hmm. There were screams that happened when his shirt sure. hit on the floor. Like, yeah. And so, and I look back and I just rewatched clips like minutes before our episode. And I saw that, uh, or recording that scene really it was a terrifying sound mix. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I am really touched by the suicide video. That he
1: did yeah it was presented very matter of fact like i liked yes. that it was love that it was a long take and it the actual death portion of it was upsetting but he wasn't you know it wasn't like in a way that was showing him regretting it you know it wasn't like uh oh maybe i made the wrong choice it was still very no you still know this is what he wanted
0: yeah it was a full-blooded decision that he made yeah. and um, this is what he wanted. And I like that The f- Alejandro Amenabar just trusted the close up.
1: Yeah, one. yeah. Well, that's also trusting your actor, which he obviously does, and he should. Javier is a real yeah. actor.
0: Yeah, that just. Um, and when you see Javier Bardem's performance, especially in that scene, um, this is a person finally achieving what he wanted. <laughs> Um, Mm. He wanted to end this already, but at the same time, there is that sadness. There is that, um, I am still dying, you know, even if this is what I wanted, this is also kind of sad, but I made this choice, that resolve that he has in his heart, that really uh, was probably the most powerful part of the film for me because that just, that was, that's a very confrontative part of it if the rest of the film was not very challenging that one almost just face-to-face confronts the audience like this is what i want like yeah um, the whole
1: last 10 minutes were really effective I, i that's when i the movie really clicked into place for me
0: yeah and then do you have any other memorable scenes that you want to highlight
1: Um, yeah, we, we've literally touched on everything I took notes about. (laughs) So yeah, that's, that's kind of, uh, yeah, the last 10 minutes were really when I was like, okay, I really get what this movie's going for if I hadn't up to that point.
0: Yeah. I just want to add that scene where Hene visited Julia for the very last, I think that was the very last scene and she cannot remember Mm -hmm. Ramon anymore. Yes. Um, Yeah. Bittersweet because... You know the disease has already caught up with her um, full time, but at the same time, the film doesn't end on a downer, because in as much as uh, Ramon just died, and then Julia is getting closer to that, probably there's still so much to live in this life. That yeah. um, I love that. I mean, this is this is not the most. Uh, obvious message but that's, that's the most effective one is when the message is not too obvious and it just shows you life as it is
1: yeah I mean it also is it's not a cliffhanger per se the ending but it definitely is kind of like we've led you down this path of being able to make the choice you want in life and here is another case where this will surely be of interest to that, and that will definitely come into play. So yeah. it's like the story yeah. continues. This isn't the only important case.
0: And then to the see. So yeah. To see inside, too. To yeah. see inside, like, all right, full circle. hmm. Passado este tiempo, hago balance del camino recorrido, y no me salen las <laughs> cuentas de la felicidad. Solo el tiempo que discurrió contra mi voluntad durante casi toda mi vida. Será a partir de ahora mi aliado. Solo el tiempo y la evolución de las conciencias. Decidirán algún día si mi petición era razonable o, o no. Alright, so now let's talk about how to see Inside 1 the Oscar Gold that year. So it was released in Spain in September 2 and premiered in Venice in September 4 where it won the Grand Special Jury Prize and Best Actor for Javier Bardem. In North America, it premiered in Toronto in September 15 and had a limited release in the United States in December 17. Like I said, perfect Christmas film. This was Spain's fourth win and 19th nomination. It was also nominated for Best Makeup, Uh and it won Golden Globe, Critics' Choice, and National Board of Review, and its box office is in the United States is $2.1 and it never really went wide, the most cinemas got was ninety nine theaters, and then international was forty one point six million. So a worldwide gross of forty three point seven. That sounds good.
1: That's pretty damn good. Yeah, um, yeah. And looking at the awards it won, awards it won, it really probably, if I was an Oscar prognosticator at the time, I'm I'm sure I would have predicted this. I mean, the Golden Globes, the Critics Choice, and also it absolutely swept the Goyas which is the Spanish version of the uh, Oscars essentially it's their big movie awards it won uh eight, nine, ten, eleven, eight, two, three. Fourteen, exactly fourteen out of fifteen nominations which is a lot it won every single OSC acting award um all four categories plus both new actor categories which is something we don't have obviously um it won the Independent spirit foreign film so really really kind of was a pretty obvious from when we're going in and whenever a foreign language film gets a, a nomination outside of its own category um if it's the only one to get a nomination outside of its category uh which i know the chorus was nominated for song but I, I believe that's it in terms of other nominations for other foreign language nominees and this got kind of a makeup nomination which is arguably a I don't want to say more important, but more indicative of wide support than um, a song nomination is, because some, some bad movies get nominated for best song. Uh, it really kind of was obvious that this probably would win.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, I think um, a lot of what it could have been its major competitors were all ineligible or yeah. were not even submitted so or were not accepted. So this was... And like, it ended up like it almost came by default for this film, um, just because like out of the films that were nominated along the way, it was probably one of the only two that like, okay, we st- we're the only survivors. So yeah, <laughs> probably the ones I mean, competing. Uh,
1: as far as I could tell from vague precursors, I think it was a bit of, I don't want to say surprised, but like less expected that As It Is In Heaven and Yesterday were nominated. Um they seemed like they had less precursors going in than something like, say, House of Flying Daggers did, which was China's submission, yeah. which got a nomination for cinematography. And like you said, there were... This is a kind of a surprising ceremony in that there's a lot of nominations outside of foreign language film for foreign language films. Like, The Motorcycle Diaries got two nominations, one win. A Very Long Engagement got two nominations. Maria Full of Grace gets an acting nomination. Um, again, House of Flying Daggers. Even... <laughs> It isn't necessarily a foreign language film in that it was made outside of America, but it definitely is in a foreign language. Um, the Passion of the Christ is in Aramaic. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> technically, it is a film that is in a non-English language, even though it is obviously a very American-based film.
0: Yeah, I and mean, I was surprised that, that uh, The Passion of the Christ, I mean, kind of jumping to this, but that did not get more along the way because I remember precursors getting going big with apocalypto in foreign language film in two thousand six.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well Passion of the Christ was I mean, this is this could be an hours long discussion. It was a very, very, very controversial film here in America. Um for a lot of reasons uh, and I don't think it was especially well reviewed if I remember correctly unless maybe that's just my bias so I, I think, think it was more or of, 50% in
0: rotten tomatoes of year sharply divided. it's dividing.
1: not great but what is kind of unquestionable about it and again I don't love the movie it is very handsomely made it definitely deserved those nominations for cinematography and makeup I probably would give it best makeup just for sheer it has the most makeup um and the score oh, is really gosh. good it definitely was the those weren't you know uh unearned nominations even though yeah. the movie itself questionable reasons for existing questionable quality definitely well made
0: i actually all right i haven't really full gone full blown film coverage of 2004 because <laughs> it's hard to catch up with films like you have like i'm still catching up with 2016 like what's happening and i you get already that. still have films already opening in 2020 um in vod so that myth of we don't have enough films this year is just insane um <clears throat> and then you also have the classics that i really need to watch and then like i just watched citizen kane Last year or this year, mm-hmm. so like I should have done that in film school. Yeah, like, whatever. Seven years ago, what happened? Um, and I'm then... always like,
1: watch what you want when you want. You know, I I watch a lot of yeah. stuff based on if I need to watch them for a podcast or a review or somebody else's podcast that I'm listening along to. But also, I just watch whatever I want. When I want, and I'm I'm lucky in that I've been following the Oscars for almost almost twenty years at this point. To be honest, so I've been you know uh-huh. catching wow. up fairly fairly well. Not not completely. But, um, a lot of those blind spots are already taken care of, but that's not true of everybody. And I think who cares? It's just movies.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's really hard to feel bad. Like, I haven't seen that when you have so much crap going on in the world right now. Uh, Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. My, my, I started really following the Oscars in 2009, Mm-hmm. which is like really weird because that was the start of the uh, the expanded balance so just a very sharp divide like yeah 2009 onwards like I, I probably saw almost all of the nominees in 2008 what i haven't seen that yet um the passion of the christ is probably my number one this year as a film all right it's just one of the most powerful films that i've seen and not just because of the religious perspective mm-hmm. but just how it goes like go for broke in this storytelling. This is the film, uh, you know, we've been talking about the sea inside. Uh, it's not challenging enough. Oh gosh, the passion of that Christ is just, woo, I was shaking. And I was like, um living in a Catholic country, they're making children watch this on like, holy week, like, holy crap. Are you sure you're, <laughs> once your kids see this? I mean, I get the faith part of it, but let's, not for now, yeah it's,
1: it's a very i mean, I haven't seen it in years um I'm not a religious person myself, but I was raised religious, so it's definitely part of my um like i the story is just I inherently know it, and even still, I was like, holy crap, this is <laughs> violent, it really is you know maximalist, and it's uh it's like. If the the Christ story was told through the lens of Saw, you know, it's very like gory and uh,
0: and Saw so was also in 2004, 2005.
1: Um, I think that's right, it might have actually come out in 2005, like, might not have been released till then, but I, I also don't know off the top of my head. Um, but it definitely was obviously kind of what we were looking for in movies at the time because it's the torture porn era was nigh upon us. Um,
0: oh yeah, that was that period in time, like. Yeah, Saw, Hostel,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I—I I was terrified. You know, when I see those posters in newspapers and like the the poster of Hostel is like the little yeah. bit the drilling thing. Uh, what? Yeah, that's it's why what I kind i avoided or... horror films for a long time because that was what I was seeing in horror films. Turistas even. Um, uh uh-huh. I don't know. That's yeah. Anyway, so, <laughs> um, yeah. We went through The Passion of the Christ to horror, which is like a very reasonable direction. Yeah, Yeah. but let's go to the nominees this year. So the films that were nominated are As It Is in Heaven from Sweden, The Chorus from France, Downfall from Germany, another great horror film, and Yesterday from South Africa. All right, so I would let you start. Which film do you want to
1: Um, We can go alphabetically if you want to do As It Is in Heaven first.
0: Let's hear it. All right. think of that,
1: um, Didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. It wasn't quite for me. Uh, it's interesting that this is one of two movies about the drama around a choir. Um, the, oh, yeah. The chorus is also about the drama around a choir, different ages, obviously. Um, this movie is about a famous conductor who has a uh, health scare and kind of goes back to his hometown to kind of reconnect with his roots in a way. Uh, yeah. It's a Swedish film. I thought it was a bit overly dramatic myself. Um, Uh And and I don't mind over drama. I don't mind melodrama. Um, House of Flying Daggers, which is the same year, is similarly melodramatic, and I really liked it. Um, But in this movie, almost every moment of dramatic conflict is played to the same degree. Um, Like, it places... uh, domestic abuse on the same level of just like a choir debating what song they're going to perform next in the same it's pitched in the same dramatic level so in that sense everything kind of just flattens out and it becomes hard to realize what it's going for um but that's just me
0: (laughs) yeah so talking about that one day where i watched four of these except downfall (laughs) um this was the first film that i watched so probably that had that advantage of like bring it I really liked this film a lot. All right. I, of course there were some moments like a bit too much, of course, but I really liked how the, the, com- the communal feel, of course that's nothing new, but the community drama that re- I really dug that. And there's also this hit on, again, this religious hypocrisy, which I, I just love religious hypocrisy. Oh yeah. And I'm religious. Uh, <laughs> so I love that. But yeah, I think there was just this, pure delight feeling that I get from it. And it's also kind of rewarding. I mean, I I kind of see through the, pol- the plot machinations. Like, I see conflict, going together, conflict. I see those moments, but it still works for me. And I think the actor, Mikhail Nikvist, who is in the original The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, was really yeah. good. And I loved its use of music as a core choir film should. Um, but it's very... Ingrained in character, especially when this character of the abused wife gets to sing a solo. Again, it doesn't shy away from melodrama, like I said, but it's something really appealed to me, and I think it, it ended really well.
1: I liked the ending too. Um, I, and the music was the best part of the movie. Whenever they were performing something, I was naturally captivated.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I ended up harmonizing with them. I had to space out these two films as a citizen heaven and a chorus. So I watched yesterday in between because I, I cannot get confused with two choir films. Sure. Um, yeah. So that's Sweden. And it was released. It was re- it didn't, it didn't really have a festival because I think in 2010 lens, we are so used to a film premiering first in a festival and then going home to the country. And I think us that are predicting the Oscars, we're kind of taking a look at what premiered in Cannes, what premiered yeah. in Berlin, what premiered in Venice that's going to be submitted. As It Is In Heaven was released in cinemas first and then it was premiered It premiered in Berlin the following year. So I don't know about like premier status uh, with festivals because that used to happen more before where it doesn't really matter if you've screened in your country first, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're going to Screen you the following year. Um, interesting that they went with this film, but I loved it. Um, the other choir film, the chorus, the
1: chorus yeah. Um, yeah. France's submission,
0: Golden Globe nominee, and like I said, original song nomination for Look to Your Path. It's about, um, what was it about? It's about? It's about a, a boarding school, or not? Not even a boarding, boarding
1: school. Yeah. A like uh, disciplinary school. It was you a know,
0: disciplinary school. Yeah. And then there's this um, a music teacher that came, and like he's kind of saw the potential of these kids, um, to probably because he saw how disciplinary the institution is, and he could probably be um, a guiding figure for these kids well through an alternative way that's why he became like the choir master and then he was able to um gather these kids and like reconcile their um antagonism towards any any form of authority um yeah what do you think of this film
2: yeah
1: i i thought it was okay i definitely liked it of the two choir films that i liked it better um i found it very similar to dead poet society uh which is similarly about a teacher that, you know, comes in and shakes up these boys' lives through his unconventional means. And I, because I've seen enough movies like that, and that's my own experience, I thought, not my own experience, my own, my own bias in terms of the movie watching, I found it a little bit formulaic. You know, you could kind of predict what was going to happen next. Um, but it wasn't not a pleasant watch. You know, it was, and again, the music in this is an absolute highlight. The song that was nominated um, was definitely one of the better parts of the movie when it's it's performed throughout the movie a few times. Um, but it's interesting. Of the two big French movies at the Oscar this year, they chose to submit this over a very long engagement, which ended up getting two craft nominations. And I I personally liked a very long engagement more. Not a, not a lot more, but I found it's uh, the way it was shot really engaging, and its story is kind of more all-encompassing than this one is a little bit but overall yeah, it was it was an enjoyable far. watch it wasn't anything groundbreaking yeah. but it was it was it was nice
0: <laughs> yeah i think that 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 word nice i think this film is the least challenging of everyone because i think it's kind of conscious that it follows this formula and it doesn't mm-hmm. really bother to break it even um it's really just more about uh, making you feel good when you're watching it, yeah, um, and I see, and th- like I yeah.
1: see why they chose to submit it because it's very, uh-huh. it's very much an easy watch.
0: I haven't seen a, a very, a very a very very
1: long engagement
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh gosh was it really that long
1: nah Um, it was it was it was it's just like a funny title it really seems like it's making fun of itself
0: (laughs) yeah i wasn't sure if it's a very long engagement or a very very long engagement Mm -hmm. um i was surprised it did not go with that because that director just submitted was just nominated for amelie
1: yeah which which famously lost yeah
0: yeah and I haven't seen a very long engagement because I want I'm saving myself for Amelie's <laughs> first time with Jean Pierre Jean? Yeah. Je-
1: I don't know. I can't speak French. So I, I don't know why I'm pretending. Yeah.
0: This guy. Of course. Uh, yeah, I was kind of, yeah, I was kinda of saving <laughs> sounds really ridiculous. I'm saving my first time with him, with Amelie. Mm-hmm. That's why I did not watch this film in advance. But yeah, it's interesting. Um would you have, so, so you prefer a very long engagement to the chorus? I the I chorus?
1: did, but not by a lot. I gave them the same rating if we're looking in a very quantifiable way. Um, I think if I had to pick one, just the sheer, um, uh-huh. the way that very long engagement was shot, I find personally more interesting. But at the same time, very long engagement was kind of, um, it was so sp- brawling that i kind of got lost in the purpose of the movie if that makes sense like it kind of was like very big too much Um, but it looks amazing (laughs) it does definitely deserve that cinematography nomination um for bruno double uh so if i were france i would have chosen that one but if i off the top of my head i think there actually was a little bit of controversy because i believe it was a warner brothers release so it was made with american financing to a degree so I wonder if that's part of why they didn't choose it for the Oscar. Um and again, The Chorus is just such a nice movie that it would be hard to like not like it. You know, nobody's going to say oh, I didn't like that movie because it's, it's just very pleasant, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah, you're not going to say that out loud. Um yeah, I would I sort of said because I read your um box review of this and you mentioned Marion Cotillard. Yes. What's yeah. happening?
1: She only has like seven minutes of screen time, but she was fantastic. She plays a um, a not, I don't want to get too much away, but she plays essentially a um assassin that takes up various disguises. <laughs> like at one point, Is she's a allied? nun. <laughs> I, I, exactly. Um, but it, she was really great, even though she doesn't have a ton of dialogue. But she gets a lot of fun scenes that she gets to do. And whenever she was on screen, she's obviously a captivating, um actor and this was you know three years before her oscar win but it was still like who is this this is definitely somebody to watch oh yeah i i, I
0: yeah this was nominated for golden globe bafta and critics choice like i said critic cinematography and art direction um before la Via rose the only thing i've seen with uh, with marion cotillard is big fish oh yes, yes, that's yes, really, she in that. uh, yeah that's <laughs> not really not really a very significant role but no. yeah um i just love her and I wish it was nominated for more, but yeah, I, I, I really look forward to seeing this, especially, um, yeah, after Amelie. I'm I'm ready.
1: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: ready for more Jean-Pierre. I,
1: I preferred Amelie to this. I think they're both kind of really mostly notable for the way they look rather than the way they actually tell their story. But it's hard to complain when they look this good.
0: Yeah. Looks can go a long way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's. The chorus, mm-hmm. and then, do you want to go downfall or yesterday?
1: Uh, let's keep our uh, alphabetical. Let's go downfall.
0: All right, let's go downfall. What um, do you think let's of downfall? we Toronto. <laughs> um, what do I think of downfall? It makes me weak. Um, it's a really <laughs> horrifying film. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand why at the time there was a lot of hesitation to distribute this film because. Um, It is about the last days of Hitler's regime and it is about how Hitler realizes that his
2: dream
0: of, his dream is falling apart and people around him are um, breaking their allegiances towards him and he would never leave Berlin. He would never surrender because until the end he believed his dream of like the master race, um, and it was really just horrifying film to watch because it's so up close to this monster. I don't think of Adolf Hitler as a human being. If I'm gonna edit his Wikipedia page, I would say like a monster that ruled Germany at this time. But it's so disconcerting how. This film spots those human moments mm-hmm. with his, um, you know, he became his wife, but his girlfriend, and then with some of the kids, and then having dinner really up close. And then, of course, those shouting scenes took a life on their own. Oh, my God. But yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Probably the, the most surprising movie to ever become a meme.
0: <laughs> yeah like i don't think at this at this age of at art at this 2020 you're, you're probably not gonna meme that scene
1: no but, yeah that uh, would i would be almost shocked if somebody did that today but definitely in like 2007 or 8 it was definitely everything
0: <laughs> just, it's just really disturbing and bruno Ganz was just terrific mm-hmm. as this um hitler monster it's it's really it it's just it's so disturbing to see because we especially when you're covering the foreign language film category like yeah let's do two holocaust films for today sure. um, that's typical a, that's a yeah <laughs> um but you see them through the eyes of the people that are being affected to see this war on the perspective of that freaking culprit and he's not – he has human moments. It's terrifying to watch. What do you think of this film?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that's actually probably the strength of the film. Because I remember when this came out, it was, it was like, uh, oh, and Hitler is the lead? It almost felt like territory that you don't cross. But I think it's important to remember in history that these were people. And not in the sense of they should be sympathized with, but it's so easy to look at these people as just, like, nothing but, like, absolute, you know, monsters in history that it kind of becomes impossible. <laughs> well, yeah, but, I mean, that's how we've been – he's been portrayed up till now, or yeah, not till now. That's a comfortable
0: uh, approach to take. Right, because it's,
1: it's much easier to say that or to teach that or to express that than to say, no, he was a person and – in a vacuum anybody can get this level of power no matter how monstrous or hateful they are and it's important to show that like he ate dinner he had a girlfriend you know he had these trappings of humanity that we wouldn't necessarily want to equate with somebody that it's way easier to say like he must have just been like absolutely insane at all moments and like no you know he loved his dog which like (laughs) little things like that are important to show and it feels basic to say this but like he was a person too, and therefore, any person can achieve this level of power. And it's definitely easier to say, like, um, "Oh, well, he was insane," so like we don't have to worry about somebody that happening again. But like, it could happen again. It has happened again all over the world, just not it's you know to this exactly. Right not not in this level of exposure, at least in the Western uh, in, in America, especially. Especially, but it's important to realize, you know, that this could this is um not this isn't too much of a spoiler because we're almost done talking about this category but this probably is my pick for the winner of the five nominees personally um i thought it was i thought the the um it really made you feel trapped in the bunker and you know the few moments where the characters leave to like have a cigarette in between bombings it feels weirdly like oh, wow, I can't believe there's still a sky. You know, it feels like you're really stuck in this, this like, dungeon. Um, but I, I like that part of it.
0: Yeah, this film, if we mentioned how to see inside was probably not too challenging, this one just, oh, goodness, just challenges us to see things on the other side, and it's a really unpleasant sight. And... The thing with this this depiction of Hitler is that it's so terrifyingly up close because, like, yeah. he's amiable when he's having dinner, but the hate is still there, and it's just throwing it like a usual casual dinner conversation. Yeah,
1: it's exactly. Mortifying. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, we keep saying, you know, it shows him as a human, but also it shows him as like a maniac who was quick to fly off the handle, and it also shows how the people around him whether intent whether from there by themselves or not came to view that ability to flip the switch as a sign of power and a sign of um, leadership, because it's like something that they weren't accessing in a way. Um, so like, yes, he is shown as somebody who eats dinner and plays with his dog and has a girlfriend that he marries and all this and is appreciative of his, you know, his, um, I wasn't coworkers, his <laughs> um, underlings, children, you know, something typical stuff of any person, but also he is, constantly yelling and he will like flip into um screaming matches with anybody at the drop of a hat which is you know behavior that we wouldn't tolerate from anybody it's not you know appropriate in like the work environment and this is essentially a work environment to them so you know he's a human still in the movie but he's still a maniac
0: yeah that's the power of this film is that um it brings the other side really close to home like the same thing like uh, the discomfort. Like I just remember, um, the Waterfords in the Handmaid's Tale. Like they are raping Offred, but uh, Serena Joy is still a loving mother, and that's something that people would not want to see because they we put people in boxes. And with this one, he also takes comfort in singing kids, like, right? The same way that we do, exactly. Um, and I think you know when you're a terrible human being, like we know a lot of terrible human beings especially right now, but Mm -hmm. they're Mm. not totally terrible because in, they must love their wives that their wives stick with them. They must love their children. Their children would defend them to their deaths. And it's something that is still, that is uncomfortable to see. Um, And, you know, and also like the people around him, uh, the generals, generals are being doubtful already. But the yeah. people on the ground, like like kid soldiers, they're so indoctrinated. It's scary to see like how this person has so much impact outside. And you kind of see how he has impact because he knows how to turn things. He knows how to emphasize things. He knows how to command a room even without talking. And that's probably Bruno Gantz's performance. But... yeah. The, just that command and how it seeps through in other ways, like the same way that, you know, they committed suicide. Like, spoiler alert, Hitler committed suicide. But um, one of the most mortifying scenes is when the children were poisoned in the bunker. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, that was, um, shit, what's his name? Uh, I, The minister of propaganda, who I, was, I believe, the second in command um, to Hitler
0: yeah gerbils um,
1: Gerbils children
0: gerbils um that scene just shows you like how deep this is that he created this um notion that it is better to die than to surrender and Mm -hmm. you know dying with that belief that they are the master race and um, they're not (laughs) um but yeah downfall is just probably too too uncomfortable for people to um vote for um and you know to the see yeah. their winner, yeah. It's just—it's really the opposite
1: I, of like yeah. the chorus.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and like oh, the scene
1: inside is horrifying in its own way. But it's about an individual rather than a society, rather than a country.
0: People, when when listeners watch this film, they would understand why I wasn't able to watch like a film after this and the film the day after. It's just too much, too too much bad vibes mm-hmm. <laughs> to watch after this downfall. So we're left with Yesterday from South Africa. This was a Venice premiere nominated at the Spirit Awards and it's nominated at the Emmys for Outstanding TV Movie.
1: One of those moments where the Emmys become, or where the line gets blurred, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, What do you think of this one?
1: I really liked this movie. Um, It was really close for me between Yesterday and Downfall as to... um, who I would not have voted for if I was an Oscar voter. This, and it was, I I I really found a lot to enjoy about this movie. It's it's very small scale, so it's kind of the opposite of Downfall in that sense, where it's about one individual going through a crisis. And um, but they serve as kind of a way for people to identify with um, for other people to identify with their situation. Um, I I liked the line that the um main character, the titular role of yesterday. Uh, and it's an amazing performance by, let me get this actress's name up. Um, She says... I should have gotten it. Yeah, I should have too. Um, She says, I'm not brave. Somebody says, oh, you're so brave what you're going through. And she says, I'm not brave. It's just the way things are. It's a very grounded film, and it's very... um, It's hopeful and uplifting without having that be the intention. Um, The actress's name is uh, Lolita Kumalo. Uh, Lelani L- L- Camello, and she's really good. Um, yeah, I I liked this story. It was very moving. It was very small, but it, it, I found it very uh, it worked really well for me.
0: Yeah, I really liked this film as well. Um, the the thing that really struck me the most is that I felt like like, like you said, it's it's such a small scale film, but it's just so pure, mm-hmm. and um. It's a very feminist piece without really those big feminist, like quote unquote feminist moments that you usually would get like post Me Too, post Times Up. And that line was so great because it, it's not brave. This is just, I mean, like, what is the line again? I'm so sorry.
1: It's 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 not. I'm not brave. It's just the way things are.
0: <laughs> and that's probably how women should, uh, work, especially in those kinds of societies, is that they have to put up with so much crap with these men and. Um, and at the end, you know, what you have, he is, she was beaten up by her husband, but in the end, she's still the one left to take care of her husband. And she is the one that made efforts to destigmatize, to put an isolation facility for her husband. it was just really, um, genuinely inspiring to watch. And what I loved about this film is that it handled, oh, you know, um, especially when we're talking about the Western lens, Most of the media, what we would see handling HIV AIDS would intertwine it with LGBTQ issues. And of course, it differs per country. And in the case of Africa in general, um, it's not just about gender, like how media would probably link gender and this health crisis, which it's it's. Just adding more to the stigma, I would say. Sometimes. Um, this is about poverty. This film is about lack of access to proper exactly. sex education. Yeah. And this is um, lack of access to um, family planning. And it just goes to show that in a very clear-cut way. That is just um, really eye-opening. Um, and that's why I really liked this film. It was great. And I'm so glad that South Africa broke into this category with this film. Mm-hmm. Eventually they would win with Tati the following year, but right. I actually think this is the better film. All right. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's a really good point that it's um, one of the rare films where AIDS is the main dramatic um, moment of the storyline that isn't about uh, LGBTQ people. And yeah. that's obviously a story worth telling, you know, it's an entire, um, facet of the story. That's not in the mainstream ideal of, um, the disease, but it's important to show that like, no, this doesn't just affect, you know, the, what society portrays as the others, it could affect anybody. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a feminist film in that, like, she just does what she has to do, um, and she, you know, she goes to her husband to tell him about what's going on, but not necessarily to be like, you need to come home to help us. She knows what she can do by herself, and she has that ability. Um, and just giving herself the goal of, I need to stay alive for my daughter to see her go to school, is really just a a, a really inspiring and, like, self, self-fulfilling self prophecy in a way. I really, I really liked it.
0: Yeah, the thing with these kinds of societies, the ones that are obviously patriarchal, is that. They are forcing women, not just in Africa, of course, but they are forcing women into subjugated roles. But actually, because of that enforcement of gender roles, um, the 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 patriarchal figure falls a lot of times, and it's usually the women picking it up picking it up together. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just an interesting thing to see how um, these women who are probably in the context of the film, not thinking about like, you know, I should be a liberated woman, something like that, but just how they have so much agency within the confines of their, um, gender roles. And that was a really inspiring thing to do. And then also, um, you know, the thing with, of course, I, mean, I don't know in the case of the United States, but in the Philippines, as of 2016, uh, I, I I might get the wrong date, but mm. I am sure about the statistics. 88% are of HIV AIDS cases are still from man-to-man transmission. So mm. there is still this notion that HIV AIDS is a gay disease. Is a, is a disease for this community. And that's the rhetoric that Reagan propelled. During the 80s, that's why um, (laughs) HIV-AIDS wasn't really addressed immediately at the time. I remember there was even the time where it was called GRID, right? Yes, Uh, yes, yeah. yeah.
2: Gay-related
1: immune deficiency or disease, I believe.
0: Yeah, so I think in as much as this is a vital thing to depict these stories within LGBTQ community, of course, um, it is also important to put out something like this. Yesterday, where it shows you that it's not a gay disease because it can happen to everyone and to the least assuming of all people. Because you have someone like this woman who is faithful to her husband and she is her only sexual uh, partner, but she had that and what she should do. What would she need to do um, in that situation?
1: Yeah, I like that it didn't go into how the husband caught it. Um, because it's, the movie's not about that. It doesn't matter to yesterday. It's just about how she's going to deal with it.
0: Yeah. And I like the title because it's just like, okay, I see what you're doing. Like, your name is yesterday. Yesterday is better. We know that. I mean, for some reason, like for some reason, 2019 is better than 2020.
1: <gasps> um... <laughs> right. But it's also kind of an ironic title because she's constantly, even though she is named after, The past, in a way, she is aiming towards the future. You know, she's looking at, well, I need to survive because my daughter's going to go to school eventually. And I liked that kind of, uh, it's not irony per se, but that kind of um, economy.
0: Unfortunately, yesterday might probably have been snubbed in any other year, but this was a really weird year. So Mm -hmm. it got in, you know, this was the year without the shortlist. So I'm glad it got in from 50 from. 50 plus to five, it made it in Um, really remarkable.
1: Yeah. I have to believe that just voters saw it and were like, oh, this is great. Like, (laughs) you know, because it didn't have a ton of precursors from what I can find as many precursors as there were back then. Um, So it must have just been pure quality of film unless there was a campaign I don't know about or something.
0: Yeah. And I don't know about how um, the Oscar race was shaped by what's premiering here, what's premiering there. Mm-hmm. uh in festivals but yeah premiered in venice they didn't i th- I think it did win awards at the time um yeah yeah it was also the first commercially released film in the zulu language so that's remarkable oh, wow. yeah
1: and it was nominated uh, for the independent spirit award so yeah people clearly had seen it um but yeah I, it's a little bit surprising in a way i mean i don't again i wasn't there but it's um i bet it was a little bit of a surprise
0: yeah, and I didn't know when it premiered at HBO, but I'm glad it was nominated for the Emmy because mm-hmm. especially at the time where TV, uh, TV... People are watching TV a lot. Uh, this was probably... I hope it was more seen. Um, yeah, just beautiful. Um, let's go to the films that you already mentioned a while ago, the films that were in foreign language film, but were or for, or foreign language, but not in this category. A lot, a lot, a lot um, that were nominated here and there. um, And you've seen them, and I haven't because I didn't do my homework. I'm so sorry. But yeah, a lot of these films, a lot of this year had a lot of films nominated. Um, Let's start with the big one Maria Full of Grace from Colombia. Premiered at Sundance and Berlin, won Best Actress there. Critics' Choice nominee and nominated for Best Actress. First one in Spanish-speaking role, Catalina Sandino Moreno. Um, what did you think of this film?
1: Uh, this movie I watched just because, like I said, um, this was a kind of a year that I found interesting how many films were nominated uh, that weren't in the English language that were nominated in categories outside of foreign language film that weren't even eligible for that category. Um, it's a very international-looking Oscars from just the nominees, not the winners necessarily, but um, yeah, I. I quite enjoyed this movie i've been wanting to see it for a while and this gave me a nice opportunity to see it um it was a really harrowing movie uh which i feel like is a theme <laughs> with a lot of these movies um but the central character of maria um and this is helped by um catalina's and Moreno's performance is so assured and steady that you always believe she is in control of her situation even when she clearly is not you know there's a lot of um, international sociopolitical things she gets involved in without giving away too much and she always is assured but kind of innocent in a way that you believe she'll be okay because she'll figure it out um, which is um, uh, it, it provides for like I said it's harrowing but it's not like worrying because you, you really believe in the character um, and this actually was colombia's oscar submission but it was ruled ineligible because according to wikipedia it said because there was too much english in the film and i just watched the movie and i can barely recall any english I, I genuinely don't know what they're talking about unless there was i mean the character goes to america eventually but it's almost entirely she's interacting with other spanish-speaking uh individuals um so i don't really know what that was about um And it's a shame because I probably would have gotten nominated if it was eligible. Um, And I would probably preferred it to uh, a good chunk of the nominees. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I'm glad that she was uh, recognized for her performance.
0: Yeah, um, this one, like I said, too much. They said too much English, but said it's not too much English. I would probably attribute it, of course, without sources. But I have a feeling that it was because the director was American Because in 2011, Albania tried to submit a film that was directed by this American director. Mm
2: -hmm. But
0: the director of another film appealed to the Academy to rule it out because it was with an American director.
2: Mm.
0: And it was ruled out. And the director that appealed for this to be ruled out his film was the one that was submitted. <laughs> like, oh, all right, that's a really good um, Yeah, this category
1: always right leads there. to questionable decisions and arbitrary rules. Yeah. It's kind of the name of the game, unfortunately.
0: Because I think, especially recently, you have something like uh, Emmanuel Riva in Amour, Marion Cotillard in This One Night, Isabelle Huppert in Elle, and Janice mm-hmm. Aparizzi in Roma. They were submitted. Uh, They were submitted in foreign language film. Not all of them got nominated, but, you know, that's kind of like a way in. Right. There were people watching
1: the movies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's interesting when a a film, a performance that is not in English, be nominated even if they were not submitted. Uh, I did not know about the campaign, but uh, being nominated in SAG and Critics' Choice is pretty big.
1: It feels like the kind of movie that people would be like, have you seen this? It feels like something that would get off the ground. Um, And also just from looking at the precursors, this looks like, I'm going to say it was weak, not because it's actually weak, but weak in terms of the nominees and who was getting attention. Um, A weak year for Best Actress, possibly. Um, Like just looking at the other contenders. I mean, there was Uma Thurman for Kill Bill 2, but they didn't go for the first one. So that probably wasn't going to
0: happen. Judy Delapy
1: out who i would have given the win to personally i love that movie um but she didn't really get many precursors if i remember correctly yeah that that
0: that, i think that year was like one of also kind of like 2006 where the five or the five Mm -hmm. leading to the oscar uh, nominations announcement um i would check this out because this is yeah
1: there was nicole kimmon in birth um
0: which but, was uh, polarizing at a time, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Um, Emmy Rossum in *Phantom of the Opera*, which was never going to happen. You know, there's it's it looked like there was room for um, people to come in there who weren't, you know, Kate Winslet, Emma uh, Stone, and Hilary Swank, who probably were pretty locked in. Yeah, and and Abednego, of course. Yeah, uh, who yeah. was the runner up? I'm sure.
0: Oh yeah, um, as always.
1: Sh- <laughs>
0: ouch! Ouch! Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, sh- I think she's the only one that I haven't. No. Uh, Catalina and, and Imelda Staunton yeah this is one of my few best actors blind spots because I'm also trying to be a completist with best sure. actress um, and the only one that I have the, the latest the most recent nominees that I haven't seen yet are Melissa Leo and Frozen River and this one and Imelda Staunton I just completed uh, Penelope Cruz last week yeah
1: nice <laughs> Yeah, being Julia, I have not seen it either, but it's not really a movie that people talk about. So, <laughs> outside of her performance being allegedly this close to uh, winning, but I mean, in retrospect, it was it was not going to happen.
0: Yeah, it, it was so much fun. Um, I forgot to mention, like Penelope Cruz also in Volver was also submitted. Um, oh yeah, and and the, yeah, and Marion Cotillard was not submitted. Her film was not submitted. Mm-hmm. So yeah, these these foreign language from performances usually have to be so great for them to break into the american conversation um in terms of like for example um Maria Full Grace premiered in Berlin i don't know if La Vian Rose premiered somewhere at <laughs> a festival um but usually these performances need time to build for exactly
1: or critical support i'm i'm not sure but i'm sure there was a lot of critical love for Catalina Cindy Marino just feels kind of like, like kind of a performance that would get that uh, attention and just scrolling through the awards page for the movie. Yeah. It looks like she got uh, a decent amount of critics, uh, prizes and nominations.
0: Yeah. And then uh, the SAG nomination
1: definitely helped, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. Another discrepancy in the director is that um, Angelina Jolie was allowed to submit uh for first to killed my father in two thousand seventeen. I uh, thought like yeah. why was she allowed? But because apparently she also has a Cambodian citizenship. So um good for Cambodia for having Trent Jolie as <laughs> a citizen so they can submit her film. And that was Netflix backed. But going back to this year, another film that was um yeah. the motorcycle diaries uh such a huge multi international co-production argentina brazil united states chile peru united kingdom germany france um premiered at sundance in Cannes. it has a brazilian director so when it was nominated at golden globes it was submitted under brazil uh golden globe nominee bafta winner critics choice nominee and national board of view top five um nominated for adapted screenplay and one original song Mm -hmm. one of the rare instances where i don't know if it is the only instance
1: I think it's We're a f- second in history, um, but let's take a look. Oh,
0: yeah, the first one is Never on Sunday, right?
1: Yeah, from, like, the 60s, so...
0: Yeah, 60s. Um, for us, uh, very One of the very few foreign language films to be winner in Original Song. Mm. Uh, you've seen this? I haven't. What did you think?
1: I loved this movie. If there was one movie that we discussed that I would recommend to anybody, this is my favorite of all the ones we've talked about. Um, I thought it was... Maybe it's just my, um, let me see, maybe it's just my like uh, personal political um, currents, things I'm drawn to at the moment. But the way it showed um, uh, the characters getting outside of their bubble, outside of their hometown and experiencing culture and um, cultures outside of themselves for the very first time and having it essentially radicalize them, I found profoundly moving and really inspiring and very kind of like um indicative of what happens the second you leave your own backyard i mean it's a, a thing we hear a lot here in america is that like people who never leave their small hometowns and i'm saying this from experience um usually kind of look to people who do um, especially if they go to college or any sort of higher learning and they see the broadened mind that usually occurs when somebody leaves their um, hometown and look at that as like a bias or a brainwashing. But really the second that you experience somebody else's um, life that is different from yours, it's hard not to empathize with that. And this is a movie essentially about that happening in front of your own eyes. Um, But it's also a really entertaining movie. It's really beautifully shot. The first half hour is kind of like – very much just like a road movie about two bros like on the road. Um, Yeah, this was a really, really great movie. I really enjoyed
0: it. Yeah, I've heard great things about it. I have friends recommending me this. And would you say if this was nominated, do you think it would have stood a a good chance of competing for Um, against The Sea Inside?
1: So off the top of my head, I think there was a few precursors where it was nominated against The Sea Inside and it still lost. Um, The fact that it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay shows that people obviously really had a lot of affection for it. Um, So it definitely would be really tough competition. I think the scene side may still have won, um, just from the amount of precursors that it won. But I personally would have been rooting for the motorcycle because motorcycle diaries all the way.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, it just jumps to me. Um, It's kind of weird when I see foreign language film nominees that were not submitted in the first place because like I said, it's so streamlined now. Uh people would uh filmmakers would premiere in festivals, the day would show it at home, the day would be submitted. And if we're gonna take a look at like uh foreign language film possible nominees outside of this category, take a look at the nominees. Like for example, Mm -hmm. like this the thing how um border model called uva made it in makeup and hairstyling like of course they were submitted there was some buzz but you would also get something like the 100 year old, 100 year old man who climbed out of the window and disappeared uh, we're like what happened in that movie yeah <laughs> oh really oh
1: <laughs> nah, not for me yeah but, um
0: but those things really that they were not submitted oh they caught attention it's and now it feels like a discrepancy i wonder if it was a norm before
1: yeah, and this is kind of a blind spot of mine. I can't really speak to that with um, great uh, expertise. Uh, but it—I remember the Motorcycle Diaries being a movie that people were talking about at the time. Um, in my limited, you know, film bubble. Uh, so I'm sure if it was eligible, I'm sure if it was submitted, uh, it would have been nominated.
0: No, yeah. is it in Spanish?
1: It is. Yes. Oh. I—I I believe. Let me do a little check. But I believe from those parts in Spanish, they're Argentinian, so that would make sense.
0: Yeah, I wonder if (laughs) my voice is broke. Uh, I wonder if if it was ever submitted, which country would submit it? Because well, that's the thing; it's so
1: many countries claimed, you know, (laughs) could claim responsibility for the movie. It's mine. Um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's in Spanish mostly, Um, and that's part of the problem. Is that like the Oscars have that? arguably strange submission process where the country is placed over the actual, you know, filmmaker. <laughs> yeah. Even in terms of like who gets the award.
0: Yeah, at the time you have the language rule. Like if you're going to submit for your country then the film should be in the official language of that country. And mm-hmm. then it should the country should also practice artistic control. So when you have a film that is in Spanish but really a Brazilian director it kind of cancels out because if it's going to be in Brazil, their official language is Portuguese. But if it's a bit of Argentina, it's by a Brazilian director. So international (laughs) co-productions are at a weird position.
2: It's,
1: I would say very silly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but I'm glad they they removed that rule anymore because I think especially now, international co-productions are the norm. So you would see films that are produced by probably 10 countries mm-hmm. and you know that would not fly before <laughs> uh, because before there was a really rigid like if you're gonna be from china it should be in chinese it should be with a chinese director and that's not sure. how it works now mostly yeah. especially. <laughs> um, especially with independent productions where they really need really need to get their funding anywhere that they could so you would have like a film from this country that oh from sweden doesn't look like that but you know they got funding there and it's just the borders now are like yeah (laughs) and then
1: it's a weird like very um hard line approach to like yeah borders like you said it's very much like oh you didn't come from just here oh well sorry which is Uh, not really a way i like to look at films (laughs) yeah or anything really
0: and then House of Flying Daggers from mm-hmm. China. It was actually submitted, was nominated for Golden Globe, after Albert Critics Choice, and won Los Angeles Film Critics. It was nominated for cinematography. You said you liked it, right?
1: I did. And if it was uh-huh. a nominee, it would be my favorite of the category. Um, it's very dramatic. It's very almost soap opera y It's very um mm-hmm. over the top, but I kind of like that. Uh, it's also beautiful it absolutely deserved that cinematography nomination and probably should have won in my book um
0: is it the aviator who won that year
1: it is which i don't i don't understand the aviator really swept the craft nominations for the most or wins for the most part and that's i think it's fine it looks fine to me i don't love the coloring they did in that movie the color correction but that's just me personally um yeah it was really a beautiful film just watching alone for the cinematography and also i don't know how it wasn't nominated for the best costumes because they are it's incredible work um this was really part of that like at least in america the revitalization of uh this specific type of martial arts film that kind of followed crouching tiger because we yes.
0: had
1: um, hero we had this we had um curse of the golden flower i'm sure there were others and this is just in terms of what was a success in america and all of those got Oscar nominations in one category or another. Um, and yeah, I, I found it a really entertaining, beautiful film. I, I really enjoyed it, even if it was a bit, bit silly at times, plot wise.
0: Yeah, you got to have a certain level of suspension of disbelief, especially with the the Wusha. Oh,
1: absolutely, exactly. Yeah.
0: I thought they were real. <laughs> the oh yeah, no. People. I. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. And this um, is
1: even more than just the people flying. Like there's items moving in ways that are not realistic it was very fantastical
0: yeah when i first watched crouching tiger i thought well that's that's how chinese people were before can i learn and i read the novels like they they learn that like what should i learn to fly <laughs> like even just i know you and know.
1: it's i like that it's never explained in those movies it's just like this is what we do
0: it's <laughs> how how we, how we, how we, we don't have we don't have traffic here because we're flying
1: and, and we're at this it's about like you know level of expertise more than like anything being realistic and I really like that about it
0: yeah and we can only fly when we're angry and we're fighting so of course other than that we walk um yeah we've already talked about a very long engagement and the passion of the Christ and just to mention the two documentaries uh Born into Bravos, Calcutta's Red Light Kids one documentary features from India Mm -hmm. and the story of the weeping camel from germany and mongolia another nominee documentary feature oh gosh and in the submissions there's not really a lot um
1: no i i looked over the submissions briefly um nothing this is a generalization nothing really jumped out at me as like oh i've heard things about that movie so i should check it out and just in this (laughs) the nature of having time i did not <laughs> watch any more besides the ones that were actually nominated for oscars which only one of them was an actual submission besides the nominees so yeah
0: yeah um, i would say even the Oscar voters you know, i haven't watched all those 51 uh yeah so there were 89 countries invited but only 51 submitted uh, Hong Kong was disqualified because of the film's release date and Ukraine was disqualified because the film was primarily Russian produced and the first timer is Malaysia, yay I have a really short list here do you have there? because if you don't, I would
1: um, let me grab it, one second
0: I the the film that jumps out at me is Nobody Knows from Japan um, and one best actor at Cannes is directed by Hirokazu Koreeda. Okay, yeah. I haven't seen it, and one of my friends recommended it to me. Um, She told me, Watch this because you're going to be the assistant director in my film. You should probably watch Nobody Knows, so you can help me with my vision. All right. I did not watch it, and I was a bad assistant director. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I was a zombie during that shoot. Uh, Yeah, I think it was about um, children who were left by their mother or their parents. So the eldest brother took care of his siblings for years okay without telling anyone that they were left alone it's based on a true story that's probably the major one and the other two that I would mention are just reaching out um the five obstructions from Denmark is kind of a documentary co-director Belas Vontrier um it's about I think challenging a filmmaker to make a film you know with those restrictions okay and yeah, then, yeah yeah and then Night Watch from Russia uh big box office. I I remember and then there's I think <laughs> in the circles of the internet there's this corner where they really like Night Watch.
1: Oh yeah, and, I've heard I've heard of this movie. I really I people yeah, I've seen this, this poster floating around.
0: Um and then it's urban fantasy, supernatural thriller film. Probably not going to get nominated for an Oscar. No. But yeah, I'm glad when countries try to submit like, you know what? Let's submit this film. Even though there's no probably no chance because of genre bias.
1: Yeah. I like that too. Like when uh Germany, I believe, a few years ago submitted Goodnight Mommy, which I didn't love, but I I applaud their <laughs> you know, effort
0: there. The audacity to submit as well. Exactly. Like, sure. Um there's all I just remembered when writing the notes in 2010 or eleven? Uh, Uruguay sent The Silent House, which I believe is a found footage horror film. Like, let's scare some Oscar voters, okay? Good for
1: them. God bless, uh, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, great choice. I mean, if we're not gonna get nominated, at least make an impression. Um, yeah, really like Disadventious Choices, and unfortunately, I don't have any others. I don't I don't, I don't know if this was a slow year, or just because the contenders were not submitted. <laughs> like disqualified well, that's the thing, and it's or, easier,
1: in, yeah. it's hard harder with the distance of time to be like oh i've heard about the movie when you know the conversation wasn't there at least to the degree it is now but yeah it is interesting that so many of the foreign films that were foreign language films are that uh were nominated in categories outside of america um were or nominated categories outside of foreign language film rather were not even eligible or were not submitted
0: yep and and because I think it, it gets harder for me as well. <laughs> because um, especially now, in terms of like, what is probably going to be up for a foreign language film? What's on Netflix? What premiered at yeah. Telluride? What premiered at to Toronto? Before, and, and those are like your only options for the win. Because of course, it won this, won that. Mm-hmm. But before, you can see something like um, The Lives of Others beating The Pants Labyrinth with six Oscar nominations... Uh, No Man's Land not getting anything beating Amelie with six so before like you can see films win this category without a festival premiere and like I would not know like what are the other contenders that did not get festival premieres that were probably in a conversation because as someone researching that and I was young then I was probably looking at the festival premieres like you know and i should probably like shift my brain just like there are some probably like those out of the box choices that would just get in just because of how wild it is from 50 mm-hmm. to 5. yeah and this was the last time we had like uh 50 plus because after this 50 plus submissions because in 2005 it's 60 plus beyond and in wow. 2019 <laughs> we had 93. 93 or 91. So good luck watching all else.
1: I was going to say, basically um, uh, guaranteeing that none of the voters are going to get to watch all of them, which is why the short list exists, obviously. But like, wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. And even when they do the, the grouping thing at the Oscars, when they, when an Oscar voter should just watch like 20, it's still 20 films. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are filmmakers. They're probably busy when it's not a pandemic and probably busy making films or having dinner and are you that's why probably a lot of older voters get to participate in voting more is because they have the time but also kind of shapes (laughs) the taste
1: i mean i don't have Uh, the time and i'm not even a voter so
0: yeah we have the time we're making time and we're not voters it's insane yeah uh yeah so other films that year that would have probably made some you know competition Bad Education from Spain, um, premiered at Cannes, directed by Pedro Almodovar, BAFTA nominee, won New York Film Critics, not National Board of View, top five. I- I- yeah,
1: but when I haven't, but um, and, you know, Almodovar does well in this category, especially nomination wise. But when The Sea Inside ends up being your winner, I don't really blame Spain for submitting that movie instead.
0: Yeah, it's about uh, a kid reconciling his sexually abusive past with a priest. I think a priest. Uh, Yeah, I kind of just topic wise, Mm -hmm. I kind of see why they went here. Um, I don't know Gail Garcia Bernal's popularity in the United States at the time. um, But yeah, and then another international co-production is Moulade. Uh, Senegal France working a Faso. Cameroon Morocco and Tunisia. Uh, National Society from Critics Winner. It's about female genital mutilation, I think. Oh boy. Um yeah, that wasn't submitted. Probably because of like international things. And then Tropical Malady from Thailand just because I pichapong, where is that a goal? And then this was an interesting case, 2046 from Hong Kong, because it was directed by Wong Kar Wai, mm-hmm. was nominated for Critics' Choice in 2005, but because the eligibility period is October 1 to September 30 of a given year, and they need to premiere seven days in that country, in Hong Kong, it premiered in September 29. Okay. So, I don't know where that works. Um, How about Old Boy?
1: Oh, I have seen Old Boy. Was that this year or the year before?
0: Uh, It premiered in South Korea in November 2003 and in Cannes in 2004. So, it's eligible to see. Oh,
1: I didn't even think of that. Um, It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember really, really liking it. Um, But also, it's not very Oscar y, it's very violent, very shocking. Um, But if that were nominated, I would have definitely voted for it over all the nominees.
0: Wow. I have seen the Spike Lee version. <laughs>
1: oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I haven't even seen the original. So without that, I liked mm. the Spike Lee version. But All right. my friends I I'm have like, not
1: seen that one. What but... are you
0: doing? Why did you yeah. do that to yourself? Like, okay. Um, and then head on from Germany and Turkey. One Golden Bear, uh, Berlin. Uh, look at me from France one screenplay at Cannes and Clean from France one Best Actress from at Cannes. It was a collaboration between Olivia Saya and Maggie Chung.
1: Okay, haven't seen that, it it, but <laughs> yeah. No, I mean and that's it... that's a lot. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff out there, and it's uh... yeah. Especially when you look at like the Cannes winners, that's a really good jumping off point.
0: Yeah, I am so interested to ask you uh, because there's a lot of France happening. A lot of friends and all this stuff. Uh, do, what do you think of the one country, one film rule?
1: Um, I think it's a little silly and outdated. I, I under, don't really understand. I'm sure they have on paper a reason for it. Something about making sure that one country doesn't dominate the nominations, which in that sense, I like it because, it, you know, I'm sure there'll be years where it'd be like four films from France, then one film, film from somewhere else. Um, but it it does become limiting, obviously. You know, like it's why can't the Sea Inside and Bad Education both get nominated? Why can't um a movie that like we were talking about, The Most Diaries, is from many different countries, but it is the way the category was named back then, a foreign language film in relation to America. So I don't really, uh, I I personally would be more um, inclined to do like what the Globes do, or what Critics' Choice does, and just have it be anything that is not in English, if that's how we're positioning ourselves as American voters. Um, But again, I do see the logic in not wanting one country to just dominate every year, which is uh, something that could happen, definitely.
0: Yeah. I think the argument for that is uh, 2019, you know, Uh, France submitted Lem's Rahab, and Portrait of Aladium Fire is right there. Right. I am more on the fence. Like I don't probably want European films to dominate this category because they usually do.
1: Which you you worry that they might, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's in my disadvantage (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. because I would probably be something. But anyway, uh, yeah. So let's answer this question that I have here. Um, But having said all that, do you think the sea inside is a worthy winner of this category in 2004?
1: I do. I mean, I keep saying I would vote for whatever over the scene side, and that's true, but it's not a bad movie, and it definitely accomplishes its goal of what it's setting out to do. Um, and Amanda Barthes is a filmmaker that I do uh, like. I, I, I like the others. I think that's a beautiful movie. Um, so I'm happy that, I mean, he doesn't have an Oscar for this, but that his film was awarded. I think it's, I think it's a deserving winner, even if it wouldn't be my vote.
0: For me... The, the, the bar of not deserving is kind of pretty low at this point. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, this film, I I saw why they chose... I, I see the reasons why they chose it. It's not a bad choice. I understand why they went there. And it has merits to stand on its own. Like, um, you know, have your burden's performance performance. Um, and it's just... I think it's kind of a film that, you know, would, con- would ask you to confront these certain issues. But at the same time, you can you know it's it's not too hard on you, like you said, um you can confront these issues and still have this film that is watchable, that is accessible to people mm-hmm. uh, let's rank the nominees, <laughs> so all right, uh, fun. <laughs> yeah, let's start with number five. What's your number five?
1: Oh, as is in heaven, easily. <laughs> well, it's not a fan five. Yeah.
0: my number five is the chorus.
1: Well, that's my number four, not far behind. Um, yeah, the two choir movies didn't really specifically grab me. Uh,
0: my number f- four would be. What are the other nominees again? <laughs> I <laughs> forgot the nominees. I don't the downfall yesterday, of course. Right, my number four is yesterday.
1: All right. Uh, my number, number three. three is the winner, the team side.
0: Yeah, and that's my number three as well. What's your number two?
1: Okay, here's where it gets hard because my number 2 number 1 uh I'm between yesterday and downfall I, obviously. Yeah,
0: I feel you that. I feel you there. Yeah.
1: I think my number 2 probably is yesterday just um I think it's you know it's hard to compare because downfall is such a like titanic undertaking and like covers a much more historically vast subject so it's hard to be like well that's better or worse but i do think downfall is a little bit more impressive if that makes sense although yesterday is a beautiful film so it's very close but i'm gonna say yesterday number two which obviously then means that downfall is my number one
0: yeah my number two is as it is in heaven and my number one is downfall <laughs> um i think this year in general it was so solid um i would give and take the course Kind of like the last one, but I think sure. it's, if you saw my letterbox, they're all fours. Like, not okay. not really like super <laughs> passionate about them, but like they're such a solid group and such a relief because coming from 2005, which is a miserable lineup, um, this category can be a hit or miss. And I'm glad that they had five that were solid. Uh, well, regardless of as it is in heaven. <laughs> um, yeah. So well, that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh with that thank you so much for having this discussion we are so great to have you it was a really great time and i sh- sh- i was able to remove all of my nervousness like 10 minutes in so Love again <laughs> can you tell our listeners where can they find you and your work
1: yeah thanks for having me and give me a reason not not that i need a reason but you know homework <laughs> essentially to watch these movies um, yeah, I'm, again, I'm all over the internet, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox at Cody monster 91. And I have a horror, you can find my, sorry, you can find my writings, and my podcasting on next best picture. And you can find my horror movie podcast, Halloweeners pod. We're on all major platforms and on Instagram and Twitter at Halloweeners pod.
0: Yep. And my Twitter account is at Carlos Johanna and you can follow this podcast at one inch barrier. I... Um, what, uh, this podcast is available on all platforms. I am currently writing on the film experience. Yay. Just started. And then I don't have anything else. So again, uh, thank you so much. Right. <laughs> uh, I wish everyone's safety as they're staying in their homes. And this is a goodbye for now. And together, let us break the one inch barrier.